0: What nonlinear began as wasn 't what it is now, what it was was that my teacher um, you know you teach you get you learn these internal yogas and these internal yogas are essentially inner channels you know like central channels side channels you learn how to uh, to feel if there's you know if there's a clear channel or if it 's uh, contracted or things like that or even that you have channels or meridians or whatever you want to say, you know. Uh, in the system, I was taught it is channels, nadis. And so I did a central channel practice that was kind of where you, where you check if your central channel has obstructions or closures or kinks or things like that. And I did that, and I did that in meditation posture and very still and everything. And I realized um, that that didn't really do it for me that I could, I could visualize the channel clearing, I could breathe up and down, right? I've always been, I always needed a lot of entertainment. So. <laughs> so what I started doing was experimenting with moving kind of my body to kind of open and unkink certain areas. And when I did that, I got a very um, direct hit of, energy moving and expanding and, you know, feelings of relief and the kind of a wideness in the solar plexus and stuff like that. And so I played a lot with that and uh, because I was also quite a nerd and really into this stuff. And then I had, I talk about this in the teacher training in in quite a bit of length. I had two really quite heinous things happen in a fairly short period of time which were that my closest girlfriend, who was like my closer than my sister, my sister's way younger than me, and so we were never that close. And this girlfriend of mine and I were a year apart, less than a year apart. And so we grew up together, we played on the same sand heap when we were four, that's why we met our parents, built houses across from each other. And so we were like this, we rode together, we were that, you know, crazy four horses, the whole thing. And she developed a very very aggressive and really gnarly uh, type of breast cancer when she was 18 and she died within six months Mm -hmm. and it was not a pretty thing you know and not a you know uh, it was it was just really really rough and uh, because of course at that age also you know cells multiply at a rapid rate And, and essentially when they diagnosed it they said well there's nothing we can do and I said to her parents, um, you know, try and give your daughter a nice summer. She's not going to live to Christmas. And I could not deal, couldn't deal, just had no capacity to deal with that properly. And I was already at university, and she was a year younger. She was in her last year of school, and, or ending her last year of school just as she was diagnosed. And so I had that, and then I had um, my closest friend in school in uh in vienna where i went to university who was a couple of years older than me quite a few years older than me five or six um my closest male friend uh, killed himself the day after he graduated from med school and so those two things happened within six months apart and i remember distinctly um kind of being so grief stricken and so out of my depth in dealing that that's all I did for hours. I just moved my body and that would give me some relief. And, but it also allowed me to actually grieve. When my, with my girlfriend, I didn't really grieve because I didn't know how to. And then six months later, when the second thing happened, I remember spending days just howling. And and I could cry, and then there was a distinct moment where I was done. Not done grieving, but done with this abject, you know. And I could actually be in my body and meet the grief and be with his mother. And I had found his body. So it's, a, it's a long story, but um, I have a history of finding my friend's bodies. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, I'm, I'm joking about it, but it, it's quite the same This happened much, much later again, where I found somebody's body, Uh, I was equipped, right? But back then, I wasn't equipped. I mean, you aren't with 20. I was 20, I think, yeah. Uh, So, uh, and I wasn't a mature 20 either, and I had had no exposure to death or illness whatsoever. My grandparents were still alive. And so um, I'm saying this to say I had distinct moments where I was like, wow, this is helpful. This is actually helping me, mm-hmm. and so if for a long time, nonlinear was my personal practice i didn 't start teaching it till I was actively a therapist um, and um, working with people and realizing that it was also helpful for them and Then I developed most of the modalities and the methodology um, much later, but I started teaching you know full on. Um, when I did, um, I worked in a dual diagnosis rehab. I saw some really, 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 really traumatized people like ritual abuse, you know, multi year sexual abuse, incest I mean, just the most crazy shit you can imagine. And that's when I started teaching it. And so every step along the way, I would then see how it actually helped people and helped me because. I mean, there were days where I would hear three, four, five clients tell stories that to my little Austrian mind were just like, you know, when I'm saying little Austrian mind, I grew up quite sheltered, right? I mean, you know, I never knew an alcoholic till, you know, I was in clinical in, in, you know, clinical training and um, never seen anybody be violent, never see somebody overdose or anything like that. So only in my clinical work was I exposed to these things, and it was, it's rough, you know, you've, and so that's how it all came about. So I had multiple strong aha moments, you know, over the years, and I would say my last multiple strong aha moments in, in the, in the development of a lot of this work that we're doing was when the house burned down, right? I mean, I had enormous practice under my belt at that point, and I also, had taught and we had teacher trainings and everything but when the house burned down and there was nothing but a bit of rubble right and gale force winds and the hills were burning back there and you know it was just like armageddon yeah. my personal armageddon right well you know you were here uh it was absolutely awful and it's hard to describe to people because it's not just your house is gone it's like The smoke's so thick you don't see the sun, right? We we had no, for months, with no blooms on the trees, no fruit, nothing, because we didn't get enough sunlight for months and months and months. So that all said, that nonlinear is what really kept me sane, like really kept me sane. And in the course of that, I kind of refined things even more, right, as in, How it's spoken, how it's taught, um, what can be done with it. So I'd say it's multiple aha moments, you know, and they're still coming and I'm still actively developing, you know, modalities. People teach it. I mean, we have now I I think close to 300 qualified teachers, you know, all over the world. And a lot of them teach it in really interesting situations like refugee camps, for instance. Um, there's now a woman, she's just started uh, on a Greek island, where there's a lot of people coming over from um, Africa mm-hmm. and Syria, and, and she's teaching there in a refugee camp. And we've had uh, a woman uh, who taught the last remaining, I think, nine or ten ladies who were in a retirement uh, home on Fairfax in West Hollywood, who were Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. And uh, she went there every week, and they, they mostly were on stretchers, and in, in their wheelchairs, and they did nonlinear, and then they had tea and cookies, and they talked about stuff. And mm-hmm. so it, it is taught, and it is some people teach their children, some people teach in schools as well. There is a case to be made, not for Teen Magazine and Cosmo necessarily, but there's a case to be made that when you have a partner, who is trying to engage with you, let's say, erotically. Whatever that means. Some play of the erotic. doesn't have to be sex, but flirting or feeding you with something or even massaging your feet. There's a case to be made of giving feedback that is um, like what we're doing in Moving What You're Feeling, where you give good feedback when it's good and you give ouch feedback when it's bad. Right? Because... Other people, we are not, you know, we're not trained to be that finely feeling that you can feel it without the partner making like with a blank face, right? So most people require their partners, and it's also really quite nice to show their pleasure and show their displeasure at at equal um, opportunities, meaning not only show your displeasure, but also show your pleasure. So with that said, it's useful that when you do have actual pleasure, you are able to, let's say, vocalize that or visualize that in a way that somebody on the outside can identify that as pleasant. And also that you are capable of verbalizing or vocalizing or visualizing the unpleasant, right? So there is something very important about that. And for that, of course, you need to know what's happening inside. And like you are saying, when you weren't just faking it and the real thing comes up, the real thing is incredibly informative to a partner. Right? If your partner massages your feet and it feels incredibly good and you allow yourself to turn towards that and your whole face lights up and your body relaxes and you're making a sound, that's really good information. But if your partner just touches your foot ever so a bit, and you go, oh, oh, right, your partner has a very unrealistic, um, a, uh, you know, assessment of their skills, right? <laughs> However, if you don't give anything, and it's good, but it's not great, but it's good then they don't know that and then they probably stop. So there is, there is always, when we're dealing with somebody else, there's always having to make the decision for yourself and also for the relationship. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in places like Teen Magazine or Cosmo, that nuance gets lost because, you know, they always have to be the five greatest tips for whatever. Um, that, that's always the worst for me when I have to do interviews and they want the five tips and it's like, no, 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 this is very nuanced, but you have like 20 seconds and then it's done, right? But so where they, where, where they are correct is feedback must happen, where they're incorrect is you don't want to use feedback to manipulate, right? And a lot of that is manipulation. It's the, let me make the sexy sound so I keep the guy, right? Not, not, not the way to go because also a guy who's that easily duped is not a guy you actually want to be with, right? That's the, that's the other thing. But also a guy can't develop any distinction if he's constantly duped, right? So that's the other thing, right? When you look at some of the guys nowadays, particularly, all they've ever seen is porn orgasms, you know, they don't know what a real woman sounds when she has real pleasure. And then and then everybody's mad at that, but it's like, well, you know, how would he know? Right? If if he gets like the porn star response every time he even brushes against you, you know, he he, he won't know his shit at it. Right. It's it's just like so it's there's it's it's very nuanced, but what we can do For ourselves and the people we're with is cultivate honest, truthful arising of our expression. And that requires honest, truthful meeting of our own internal landscape. And when that happens, then you are capable of giving nuanced, distinct feedback, which allows your partner to learn and also to be motivated for the right things and this, and not motivated for the wrong things, so to speak. Because when they press it, do you go, ah, you know, and you mean it and it's not just some fake thing. They're like, whoa, what did I do? Right. And then, then that can be fixed. But if you're just going, ah, you, you know, well, you know, can't blame them for thinking it's OK. Which is typically what happens, right? I don't know, uh, you know, how it is nowadays, but I remember, you know, coming across guys when I was in my 20s who they had just been with women who faked it. They thought they were hot shits. They had no idea. And they were absolutely devastated when they realized that they had never received proper feedback. And it's really sad. Yeah. So, it's very sad. So... That's that's where, you know, we have to give Teen Magazine their due. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a very different thing at that point when you actually mean it. So, yeah. Well, the first thing that I want to say about that is that I, of course, at some point believe that too. Right? Um, I, like anybody else, had... Uh, been somewhat indoctrinated into the ideas that exactly like you say, going to work is masculine and doing these things is masculine. Then you go home, you're like, you know, this is the classic. You have a bath and then you're in your feminine. If you're not in your feminine, you're essentially, um, you know, a, a not a worthwhile woman, right? So it took a while for me to um, explore that for myself and also explore that in my work to find out what's, what's useful and what's not useful. And so, um, also for myself, because I, for one, really enjoy work. I'm really, I mean, I, I can't say enough about how much I enjoy my organizational brain, right? I have one of those brains that can organize and make sense out of everything, and I really like that. And I'm also really good at creating systems and, you know, and I mean, teaching and all of that that is masculine, big quotation marks. So that is one of the reasons why I try not to use those terms because I do think particularly nowadays, you know, this wasn't really cool 20 years ago, but it it, it was a lens, right, that was useful, but it's not a useful lens now for a num- for many many reasons but one of which is it's a very reductive lens it's along the lines of what we talked about yesterday with the fads in psychotherapy right mm-hmm. when everything you do is is through the lens of an attachment pattern you're you know it's so reductive we're not just an attachment pattern and we're not just masculine and feminine so the things to really kind of feel there is that what is called masculine and feminine, if you really look at those terms, masculine is uh, the traits of a man, and feminine is f- female, female women's traits. That's all it means. Everything else comes from a neo-tantric understanding of Shiva and Shakti, mas- you know, masculine and feminine being the terms that override Shiva and Shakti, which is the <laughs> male and female rep- uh, representation of God right? That's really where it comes from. And so because people didn't want to say Shiva and Shakti because it was the 60s and, you know, whatever, and they wanted to make it mainstream, it became masculine feminine. And so now it's, and people have, and it, there's a new round of people out there now who just regurgitate this without any idea of what the hell they are doing, because you are creating gender wars, Right? Yeah. You're just creating generous. You're not you're in your masculine. No, I'm not in my masculine. I am I I'm just incredibly capable of making sense of things in a linear way. Yeah. Right? So that's why I call it go, which is not male or female. It's just a way of using your brain and your body and your energy. Right? Every human being has that ability. Some people have trained it more than others. Some people are better at some things than at others. Some of it has to do with our endocrine system, but I'll talk about that mm-hmm. separately. But any man or any woman can be really good at certain things and not good at other things. Mm-hmm. Right. So to call it masculine and feminine makes it, like you are suddenly not... Th- this is why I say nowadays it's 50s fifties uh, housewife shit warmed over in a neo-tantric you know, oven, so to speak. It's like, why would I want to go home and be a little housewife with my little outfit and my apron and my little <laughs> casserole dish? Why would I want to do that? It's so reductive, right? So a better way to look at it is to say... You have a set of skills that you either have to do or want to do, right? And that is not the same. Going to work and being in your masculine um, could be you're going to work and you're doing things you don't enjoy. But that's a whole other conversation. It has nothing to do with masculine. It's like you're going to work and you're doing things you don't like. If you do things you don't like 12 hours a day or eight hours a day, most people work more than eight hours a day, right? If you do something you don't like eight hours a day, it will cause enormous strain on your body. Mm -hmm. The kind of strain that we discussed the other night, your pelvic floor pulls up your genitals tighten your belly tightens your head hurts your shoulders hurt your jaw clenches you don't like it you need to allocate all this energy up here you do it over and over and over and over and over it's bad patterns it's not good for your body this is the same for men by the way there's no difference it's like you go to work you do a job you don't want to do it's a stressful job you'll create tension patterns of stress and closure and uh pushing and and whatever right so there's that you could also go to work or rock climbing i used to be a rock climber before i fell a long way down into a tide pool and totally ripped my knee apart um and i loved it It was one of my favorite things in the world was free climbing rocks you know i grew up in austria It, it was but nobody considered it masculine it's just you were good at it or you weren't good at it right? There were as many women climbing as there were men climbing. Um, Typically, they had different specialties, different ways they would go, but you're either capable of doing that or you're not. And it requires absolute 100% focus. You don't focus, you die, or you at least fall and mess up your knee, right? So, if you call that masculine well, yeah, know, okay, but it's really not that. It's focused, concentrated activity. Some people like that, some people don't like that. That's just that. Same is true with <coughs> flow, right? Flow in both men and women is the ability to be relaxed, Be open, be playful, be sensual, have pleasure in the body, engage with life, uh, be in nature, enjoy a sunset, surf a wave, go up on a mountain. There's that too, right? Because in rock climbing, for instance, you're equally in go and flow. And that's one of the nice things about rock climbing is that you need 100% go and you need 100% flow, meaning you need to be equally as feeling and wide and kind of being the rock, so to speak, as you need to be 100% focused on every little bit. And it happens both at the same time. And a good rock climber feels the rock before they see it, so to speak. Right? So it's 100% go, 100% flow. So that said, is if you would spend all day flowing, you'd be really good at it. Like if you spent all day going, you would be really good at it. If you spend all day flowing and you hate it, then that would give you tension patterns, right? Mm -hmm. If you spend all day going and you hate it, that will give you tension patterns. So the real problem when people go about, and then you're supposed to come home and have a bath and be in your feminine, what they're really saying is, I'm using my body in a very specific way all day. And when I want to not do that i don't have the capacity to switch and in that in that state i'm not really that interested in being with another body and being in my body which is all it is right the thing is when you are in your head and when you're using your head and when you're that focused this like we talked yesterday doesn't really matter so what's much more useful is to say when i come home i want to come back to feeling my body and enjoying my body and enjoying my life with my body Mm. how do i do that and then it's not a matter of are you woman enough Mm. it's a matter of do you have do you have the capacity to meet life with your body Mm. right Mm. which is a totally different set of circumstances you're no longer deficient you are no longer less than other women who know how to moan at the right moment in time after they had their bath, right? Um, with their perfectly airbrushed ass on Instagram, right? So, so it, it, but then of course, if you're that kind of a person, you no longer want to do the polarity workshop. You're actually just gonna be home and have a good time, right? So you have to remember that, that these are skill sets that you can learn. They have nothing to do with your value or your worth as a woman or as a man. It's war. You're not in your feminine. I need a woman who's in, my, in your feminine. Well, motherfucker, <laughs> go somewhere else. Hey, go to Bali. You know, <laughs> Leave me alone. Right? But, but the thing is also true, right? The reason why men are not masculine enough, right, is if you spend all day um, having to do the same thing that you do all day, which is tell people what to do and make decisions and work hard and think about stuff and whatever, when you come home, you don't want to do that again, you don't. You also need rest. And then there's this whole horrible dogmatic thing where a man has to be a man and always make all the decisions. And that's, yeah, exactly, take me deep, masculine, whatever. It's like, the dude is tired, right? He's as worn out as you are. So give him a fucking break, right? Give yourself a break. Don't make it this uh, existential life crisis But do the things that normal human beings, normal loving human beings do for their partners. Sit down, have a, you know, whatever, cup of tea, drink, watch the sunset together, roll in the grass, um, have a bath together, listen to some music, dance, um, roll around with the puppies, horses, whatever. Like, have a nice time softening your bodies. Mm -hmm. Have a nice time actually enjoying being in life. And then from there, naturally... The next thing happens, which we haven't talked about, which is most humans have a preference when it comes to sex. Once again, that's not masculine feminine necessarily, and it's not an essence, right? Because it has nothing to do with an essence. You have a preference. And the preference is, and it's a preference. It's not all the freaking time. It's like some people like to be the one... um, doing the penetrating. This is not men or women, right? Doing what I mean with pe- penetrating, knowing where it's going, holding the occasion, making things happen, initiating things perhaps, um, you know, dragging you up, down, sideways, whatever, right? Like, there's people like that, and then there's people who like to go along for the ride. Whee! Whee! Right? So, <laughs> And so, in an ideal world, when people want to have sex and, you know, erotic enjoyment, you have one person who goes, come along, and one person goes, "Wee!" <laughs> right? And then that makes for good, enjoyable sex. So, but sometimes, the person who goes, "Wee" goes, oh, I'm gonna do something, right? And the other person goes along, that can also happen, but we typically have a preference. And so the key isn't to make the preference, the dogma, because also when you think about how much time you spend in life and how much time you spend having sex, there's way more important things than maintaining perfect polarity at all times, Mm. which is also so bizarre because why would you do that? Mm. You do not need to be polarized to take your kid to the kindergarten Mm -hmm. or go to the grocery store or hang out and watching whatever. What is it now? House of Dragons is the new thing that everybody watches, right? You don't need that thing because that thing, this is also something people don't like to hear. Polarity means you're at odds. You're the opposite ends of the spectrum. And so people who are highly polarized tend to fight a lot, right? They have great sex when they make up, right? And then there's people who have really nice relationships, but it's not super exciting. Mm -hmm. And then they complain and then they go to a tantra workshop and then they learn that they have to maintain masculine feminine polarity at all times. And now they no longer like each other, but okay, they have sex ever so often, but then they don't like each other, (laughs) right? So you have to kind of feel What's your life really like? And sometimes, right? Particularly, we have here somebody who is gonna uh, essentially devote their body to growing a human, birthing a human, feeding a human. You have other things to do, right? and then it comes back, and then and so on and so on. So. Um, Instead of going, I need to have a bath or I'm not a good partner to my partner, you want to go, how can we optimize our gifts and how can we train our bodies to be able to do both the getting shit done when it needs to get done and um, being soft and receptive and playful and flowing and pleasurable when that's called for, Mm right? Right. And then when both people can do that, and both people can do equal amounts of that, then you can play with your preferences, but you can also support your partner when they need a bit of help, and then you have a whole other thing going on. Mm -hmm. And the worst is when people who are very capable um, don't do the things that they're capable of because they are afraid that they're emasculating their partner, Mm -hmm. right? That's the worst you can do with your life. That's a total freaking waste of your life force, is when you go, well, I'm really good at fixing the sink, but I don't want to emasculate my partner who doesn't know how to fix the sink because he's a fine artist and he works with his hands in a completely different way all day, but I'm going to force him to fix the sink because if he doesn't, he's not my man, he's not masculine enough. And all the while you're sitting there going absolutely ape shit because the sink is dripping. Right? causing you more tightness and discomfort and anger. It's useless. Mm -hmm. So that all said, should you be able to leave the up energy of a workday behind? Yes. Should you do it so you are appropriate for the 50s version of the tantric, whatever? No. Mm -hmm. You want to do it because... It feels good to engage with life, right. and you want to do it because you also like when your body does that. And there's a lot, and it's it's back, it's back with a vengeance. I don't know all these, you know, new in- Instagram people who are like spouting stuff that's three times warmed over. They learned it from a guy who stole it from a guy who stole it from another guy who got it from a guy who <laughs> took it from a guy, right? And, and that's, that's, it's unexamined and it, I think quite harmful because when you are desperate for connection and relationship, you'll do anything and I think it shortcuts or, or let's say it delays people's reckoning with their actual nature and so that's that's where I'm now, right? But I have to say, in all fairness, I didn't start out there. I believed all of that stuff. And then, you know, I, I perpetrated some um, grave offenses against my partner in that domain, you know, meaning expecting things that were totally unrealistic. But well, that's how I learned. And so I'm trying to um, avoid making giving people stuff that i've already discarded as useless you know it's a slice of a slice of a slice right so if you read like original texts and things like that there's a lot of talk about the union the union of the masculine and the feminine or the shiva shakti uh, and it's seen as a play of the two aspects within a human that play together like go and flow you know, Shiva Shakti, the male uh, aspect of the divine, the female aspect of the divine. And there's a play of polarizing, meaning creating that erotic friction, the erotic tension for the excitement of two people playing in the sexual domain, and then the coming together and merging as one, as the union with the divine. That's one of the aspects of Tantra that is played on when people do the sexual stuff, right? there's nothing wrong with the sexual stuff because in the higher tantras, sex is used as a means of engaging with a set of um, you know instructions in the body, and it is definitely true that you know you can be as enlightened as you want to be when you're suddenly with another human. A lot of that goes out the window. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so often often the 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 engagement and the sexual engagement with another human is kind of almost used as a litmus test in in and as a a set of instructions because if it's not just you, anybody can be enlightened alone in a cave right um <laughs> But then put other people in there and, you know, uh, it it looks very, very different. And so there's value to being with other people. And you saw that today when you're practicing in a triad and people witness you and they see you. There's something so powerful about that. And that's certainly true in intimate relationship, that being seen and known and met and understood is one of those things that make make the divine so much more interesting, right? And there is play in that in Tantra. There's, not, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not as simple as go home, have a bath, and you're in your feminine, and then you're a good girl, and uh, the right kind of men will like you. Uh, that's clearly not how it goes. Well, that's why I don't want to call it feminine masculine because it connects it to other things that are not true. Of course, I mean, if you write a book, you need to be both, for instance, right? You need to have your wits about uh, you enough that you can create chapters and outlines that make sense. Um, And then you need to pour your, you know, creative ability and your play of words and all of that into that. So it's interesting and exciting and and worthwhile doing. So most things have both of those aspects and they are not, they can't be separated. It's a little bit like when people go, which they also do, we must avoid fight and flight at all costs. Right, the nervous system needs to be invested and digested at all times. no, it doesn 't right if you if you don 't have both sympathetic and parasympathetic online able to do what it needs to do you don 't live you, you 're not motivated you 're not be able to you know step off the curb when when a car drives by and almost hits you or any of that thing so it 's the same thing these are they 're so intertwined and so necessary that to make one, fetishize one over the other, or or identify more with one over the other, is not super useful. Mm-hmm. But sometimes these lenses are useful when you start out um, identifying certain things. Right? Then it's useful. It's useful to consider, mm, you know, how in your childhood, you were attached to your parents. It's useful, but it's not a be-all, end-all, because you're not two. Right? And other things happened. Um, And there's imprints, and there's how you saw your parents have relationship or not, and so on, and so on, and so on, and every partner did something and whatever. So you can't just reduce it to, you know, everything is is about attachment, and, and then everything's about trauma, and then everything's about... And and so the the masculine feminine is one of those things. It's useful to uh, to a point, and then it needs to be discarded. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same like you're a middle child. You know, it's like yeah, okay, right? Uh, That gives you some clues, Mm -hmm. but for every every middle child that's you know in the middle, there's one that's not. Right for every woman in a rela- in a good functioning uh, erotically exciting relationship who is uh, whatever taking a bath, uh, there's one who is not. Right. So, because th- these things are not in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. I think the key in general with everything we do is that we um, expose ourselves to all these different things, so we build our own distinctions. Right, because like once you know what something feels like you can also no longer be duped into believing it's something else and that's also very important particularly when we talk about things like boundary setting or uh, you know sex or the erotic or relationship it's like once you know what something feels like you're not gonna fall for it again if it's not if it's not right yeah but that's definitely true um, you know, most of most of um honing your skills as a human is learning finer and finer distinctions. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to slice it finer and finer. Uh, it's the same with cooking, you know, or whatever, or music. You, you you have to learn more and more and more distinctions so you get better and better at, at pulling it apart and building it and stuff like that. So yeah. <laughs>